Hi, this is Pastor Mike Gordon, and welcome to Bethel Brandon's Sunday Message. For more information about this podcast and more resources, visit us at BethelBrandon.ca. I'm going to take a few minutes this morning and speak on value and uh, kind of a little bit of, uh, I'm going to cover a lot more scriptures than I normally would, but speak on value and the, whether the value lies in the many or whether the value lies in the one. And I wonder if we can just take a second before we get going here this morning and pray once more that God's Holy Spirit would speak through me to each and every one of you who are here this morning and those of you that might be watching online as well. So God, we once again come into your house. And God, for some of us, it is fighting familiarity because we've been here many times. For others, it's fighting nervousness of being in a new place that we've never been before. Um, But God, all together, Lord Jesus, Father, we want to know that your eye is on each and every one of us. God, your eye is on the church. And so we give you the honor, we give you the glory, and we pray that you will speak through your word this morning to each and every person here. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, I'm just going to read a bunch of words to start off with. Rights, privileges, responsibilities, duties, self, other, community, individuals, nations, countries, cities, province, culture, preferences. Where does the value lie? Does the value lie in the many, in the country, or does the value lie in the one single person within that country? That's kind of what we're going to look at a little bit this morning and kind of bring it around um, from scriptural point of view. And uh, we're going to use this illustration, which illustrations always break down and they never quite, you're going to think, well, that's kind of true. That's kind of not true. That could work or that could not work. But um, if you were standing beside the railway and uh, there was a train coming straight down that one track towards those four people and you had no way to get to them, you had no way to warn them. And on the other track, there was one person, but there's a switch that you can reach and you can flip that switch. And by flipping that switch, you would save the four people's lives, but you would for sure be absolute doom for the one person. They would, they would die. Would you flip the switch? I'm not looking for an answer. Don't say like, yes, I would flip the switch. Or no, you wouldn't flip the switch. I'm not sure what I would do. I, I, I think I would freeze in indecision. I don't know. And maybe possibly yell my head off and just, yeah, I'll get out of the way or whatever, right? And that kind of thing. But, and let's make one different change to that situation as well this morning. Thinking about the value of the many or the value of one. What if that one, whoop, you're one ahead of me. Go back to the train track. Uh, what if that one person, now you've still got four people on the track that the train's heading to, that the train's going to hit, but you don't know them at all. Whereas the one person on the other track is your brother or your sister or your husband or your wife or your good friend. Would you flip the switch? Saving four people's lives, but meaning doom for that one person's life who you love dearly. All of a sudden, the value becomes a little bit more of a, oh, I don't know what I would do. And I'm not sure, I'm not sure what I would do. I don't know. In situations like that, we sometimes find out who we really are, right? Um, and some people, when they look at the world today, they see the global village, right? They see everything around us. They see the entire globe. And other people, when they uh, look at the world around us, they see the village in their own backyard, Some people see nations, they see China, they see Russia, they see Britain, they see the United States, Kenya, Brazil, Canada. Other people see individual people. There's George, right? There's Mary, there's Peter, there's Grace, there's Matthew. There's individual people within each and every one of those countries. 
On the one side, the Bible speaks to the many. And I've got the scriptures up there if you want to write them down or you want to come back later and read them. But I'm going to, like I said, I'm going to go through a bunch of scripture here this morning and hopefully tie it all together when we get to the end. But Genesis 1 verses 28 says, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. The Gospels, John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world. The epistles, Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Revelation 7 verse 9 says, after this I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. On the other hand, the Bible speaks of the one. In Genesis 3 verses 9, God says, but the Lord God called to man, where are you? He was speaking to Adam. He singled him out and said, where are you? In the Gospels, John 5, 6, it says, when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to be well? He spoke to one. There was, a, there was lots of people there. There was many people there, but he spoke to that one person. In Revelations twenty two seventeen, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. Whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. In the Bible, you see nations and you see individuals come to life. I've never figured out how to keep my mouth wet. If any preachers or speakers know how to do that, when I'm singing and when I've tried putting a tic-tac in my mouth, I've tried having water just before I start, but I'll get talking, my mouth just feels like it's full of soda crackers. So, um, And nations develop and, uh, and individuals develop. On the one hand, as nations, Egypt enslaved the Israelites for about 400 years. Babylon destroyed Jerusalem and brought Israelites into captivity. The Roman Empire crucified Jesus. On the other hand, as a nation, Egypt was a place of refuge for Abraham and a safe place for Jesus in the Gospels. Persia sent the Israelites back to rebuild Jerusalem. Roman Empire was the starting place of the church. In the Bible, you have individuals as part of those nations. In Egypt, you had Moses and Joseph. In Babylon and Persia, you had Ezra and Nehemiah. In the Roman Empire, you had Paul and Peter. On the one hand, as individuals, there's going to be a lot of on one hand than on the other hand this morning. On the one hand, as individuals, Moses was a murderer, and he didn't believe God's call on his life. Ezra was in captivity. Peter denied Christ three times. On the other hand, as individuals, Moses led the entire Israelites free. Ezra reintroduced the Torah to God's people. And Peter became the rock upon which Jesus built the church. So there's all sorts of different references to the many and to the one. And we're going to pull it together, hopefully, in a little bit here. But I know it's going to seem like a lot of information this morning, a little different than I would normally speak. But um, the many is always made up of one. In Matthew 25, you see Jesus describing the kingdom of God. He says, the kingdom of God is like this. The kingdom of God is like this. The kingdom of God is like this. And in verses 1 to 13, he says, the kingdom of God is like 10 virgins. But five of them got in and five didn't. It came down to the individual person. Verses 14 to 30 says, a man went on a journey. And all of them got talents. The many, everybody got something. 
but it came down to what each and every individual person did as to how they responded with that talent and what they received for reward. And then you go on to verse 31 in chapter 25, and it speaks of all the nations of the world being gathered together into one place before God. And he separated them, it says, one from another. All of those nations came together into one place and yet God went within that and within every single person took one and moved them here and moved them there. Separated the sheep from the goats, the Bible uses that reference. He gathered the nations but separated the people of those nations for those who were merciful, kind, generous, loving, willing to do whatever it takes to help out another fellow human in true need. Jesus regarded their actions as personally affecting him. There's a story told of a village in Europe, um, and it was a, a smaller village, but there was a nobleman there who had lots of money, and he was a fairly rich man. He was getting to the end of his life, and he really wanted to uh, do something to leave a mark and to bless the people of the city, and he thought of a lot of different things, and he finally thought of a church. He said, I'm going to build them a church. They just have kind of a, a little stand or whatever out by the tree where they kind of get together. I'm going to build them. So he put the plans together. Nobody saw the plans. He built this amazing, beautiful sanctuary, possibly maybe a little bit like Bethel. We get to be blessed by the people that built this building. Um, and he built that, and finally the day came when it was finished, and he invited all the people to come to church. And they all came to church, and they're all, wow, this is amazing. This is great. Man, we have all these cushy chairs. We have all this amazing place. We have a stage. We have music. We have all these kind of things. But then one person kind of looked and said, but there's no lights. How are we going to light it? And the nobleman said, look at the brackets on the wall. And then he went to each family and gave them a lantern. And he said, I did that for a purpose and for a reason. When you come to church, you bring your lantern and hang it on the bracket. And when you come to church, that area of the church will be lit. But when you fail to come to church, that area of the church will be dark. And his illustration and his legacy that he wanted to leave was the many are important, but so is the one family or the one person who brings their light, who comes, who brings a part or a piece of the puzzle. And it could, we could relate that to where you work, too. Is, is your job a lot easier with many people? Yes, usually. Sometimes not. <laughs> My dad used to say, uh, if I have one boy, I've got a boy working with me. If I've got two boys, I've got half a boy working with me. If I have three boys working with me, I might as well not have any boys at all. <laughs> And so in that case, the many, I remember we were, uh, this is off the topic, but <laughs> I remember we were picking rocks one time, and the, uh, the three of us, two of my cousins and myself, were picking rocks, and we got into who could throw the rock the furthest from the tractor and still hit the bucket. And of course, my cousin walked in front of my rock that was flying, and I knocked him right out on the ground. And I think Dad fired us all that day, but... He still valued each and every one of us. There you go, worked it in. So when you come, you make a difference. The many... There are verses in the Bible that illustrate and speak to the importance and the power of the many. In the early church, Acts 2, verses 42 to 47 says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miracles signs were done by the apostles. Acts 4, 32 to 35 says, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and much grace was upon them. 
there was no needy person among them. And I kind of think of um, camp. I'm a little bit more of a, everybody kind of is a little bit more of an introvert or an extrovert, right? And I'd say I'm slightly more of an introvert. This isn't my favorite thing. I enjoy doing it, but I don't jump at the chance to be in front of a whole bunch of people or to be with a whole bunch of people. I like being with people, but I like going home <laughs> and having a quiet space, right? And uh, family camp is kind of a bit like what this is. Everybody's kind of down there and they're having services in the morning and having service in the evening and you're constantly walking down there. Whereas we live out in the country, so I don't go for a walk very often and see somebody. But down there, when you go for a walk, you usually leave to go to chapel at least 10, 15 minutes before because you meet people along the way and you stop and talk and you have community and there's, there's value in the many, right? There's value in being together. But when you stop and talk, you stop and talk to that one person. Second Corinthians 8 Uh, Verses 12 and 14, Paul encourages the church in Corinth to give financially to the church in Jerusalem. As a group, they took up an offering, like we've done many times at Bethel. As a group, they said, okay, this person is in need, or this ministry is in need. And everybody came together, and they took that gift and gave it to the other church. The many people came together, and they made a difference as one. John 11, last one, John 11, verse 50, said the Pharisees were plotting against Jesus, and And Capernaus, in speaking of Jesus, said, it's better for you that one man die for the people than the whole nation perish, which invertedly was a prophecy of how Jesus would die for the many to save every single one that received his his sacrifice. In most of those cases, the people gave voluntarily. It wasn't forced. It wasn't something where they said, okay, you have to give this. Everybody put in 20 bucks. Before you leave the door this morning, you got to put 20 bucks in because it's going to this, right? It wasn't something that was forced. It was something that willingly came from their heart. And the individuals came and gave of what they had, and it became something larger than what they had on their own. It became something they could give to the many. As a result, many benefit. The willing... Um, They willingly did so out of love for the Lord and for the church. Motivated to serve as individuals, they gave the benefit of the many. The individual was blessed as well. Hebrews 13, 16 says, Do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifice God is pleased. And then the one... Other verses in the Bible illustrate the value and the significance of one. In Luke 19, 15, Jesus tells the parable of the talents. Each person was accountable for what they were given. Everyone was given something, but each person was accountable. Luke 15 tells many stories of a shepherd who left his flock. He had 100 people, but he went in search of the one. He went after that one to find that one. It also tells of a lady who lost a single heirloom coin, and she left all her other coins. And that one coin became the focus of her attention. It also talks of a father who had two sons, one being the prodigal son and one being the elder son. And the father went after each of those. When the prodigal came back, he went running after the prodigal and he found him and he brought him in and celebrated. And then when the elder son got mad and left the party, the father went out and found him. And I've often said, I've heard that story so many times, and I, growing up in the church, don't necessarily relate a whole lot to the prodigal son, uh, but I relate to the elder son. And I'm sure many of you here this morning also relate to the elder son, who, why are they doing that? Why are they doing this? I mean, I've been here my entire life, but they're doing this for that or that kind of thing, right? And the parable in the Bible is not the parable of the prodigal son. If you read the story, the title in there that people have put in later says the prodigal son. But if you read the story, it says there was a father who had two sons. And every time the one was found, if you read those stories, 
He found the lost sheep. He brought it back, and it says, everyone celebrated. The many celebrated. When she found that coin, it says, everyone rejoiced. They all started looking for that coin. And when he found his sons and brought them home, they, were, they celebrated. They threw a party. They got involved. Um, when God is glorified, every, everyone benefits, individuals and the group. Notice in the parable that everyone, when the lost was found, they all rejoiced. Now let's make one change to our initial scenario. Say there's four people on one track that you don't know. The train is headed that way. They're surely going to die. There's no way that you can get them out. Maybe they're in a tunnel or something. There's one person on the other track. It's someone you love. It's your husband, your wife, your brother, your sister, a really good friend. But you now have the option to throw yourself in front of the train. And in doing so, you can save both the four people you don't know and the one person that you love, the one person that you know very well. Would you do it? And there again, I, it's an, I don't know. I see some people kind of shaking their heads no and some people kind of shaking their heads yes and some people just kind of thinking it through and I don't know what I would do or, or where I would go or how I would, how I would do that. But... In some ways, that's what Jesus did for each and every one of us. Before the foundations of time, Jesus himself made a choice before he knew any of us to give his life for the many. That's what Jesus did for friend and foe. But within the many, he made the sacrifice for each and every one of us individually. He looks at each and every one of us and he counts us on our own. He doesn't count us on our father's merits or our grandfather's merits or our brother's merits or our sister's merits. But there is something about the many coming together. And God, in 2 Timothy, two more scripture verses. In 2 Timothy 1, 8 and 9, says this, says, by the power of God who has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his purpose and grace. The grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle of a te and a teacher. Titus 1-2, a faithful and knowledge a faith and knowledge resting on the hope and eternal life which God who does not lie promised before the beginning of time and at his appointed season he brought his word to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Savior. God didn't force his son. It's not something where he forcefully took Jesus and said, I'm going to crucify you. He gave him the choice. And Jesus made that choice to go to the cross for each and every one of us and for us. For God so loved the world. God didn't, didn't break it down to, well, this person I really like, so I'm going to save them. This person I don't really like, so I'm not going to save them, right? He did it for all of us. But in the midst of all of us, he did it for you. He did it for me. He did it for one single person. The Bible um, offers something called the body of Christ. And in this whole thing this morning, this is kind of where I wanted to get to with all those scriptures of the one and the many and the individual and the nations and the countries and the people down to the body of Christ, what we have here this morning, what we have around the world. In uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 12, it says the body is one unit. So here this morning, we're one. This is one there's one unit. Though it's made up of many parts, 
Each and every person is a different part. Many parts, and through all its parts are many, they form one body. And it's kind of an interesting thing to really stop and think about this morning in the fact that we live in kind of an individualistic world and yet we live in such a connected world where we know the news that's going on around the world like that, whereas before it used to be they didn't know until the ship came across with the person with the whatever and the letter got on the horse and came to you from wherever and that was probably only 200 years ago or something like that, not that long ago, but now we know so much about the world and yet we know very little about the person sitting beside us. Whereas back then they knew a lot about the people beside them and they didn't quite know as much about the entire world. I'm not saying one is better than the other, but I'm saying as the body of Christ, we are, we are one, yet we are made up of many and many people are here and there and in different places. Um, you're not forced to join. It's made, an indiv- made up of individuals who have willingly made a choice. And there's something so much larger when those individuals work together in unity and harmony, not for the glory of one, but for the glory of God. When people look at the body of Christ today, what do they see? Do they see people that are off in their own little corner doing their own little thing, or they kind of show up on Sunday, but on Monday they're stealing from the boss and doing this and that and the other thing, and they kind of don't really add up? Or, or when they see the body of Christ, when they see you at work, when they see your kids see you at home, do they see the body of Christ? Do they see who God is in the many when we come together, as well as in the individual of each and every person? Um, I've got a picture up here uh, that I have a video to, and you can go on and look at the video, the Amish shed moving, if you just look at that. And it's amazing, these, these Amish people, it's kind of hard to see from the picture, but it gives you the idea. There's 200 men under that shed, and they actually pick it up and move it a ways down this way and over that way and down a hill and turn it completely around and park it in a brand new spot, right? There's value in many. If I told 10 of them to go do that, They'd be like, yeah, right. But how many, they did it with 200. Could they do it with 198? Probably. Could they do it with 150? Maybe. Could they do it with 25? No. There's things we can do as a part of the many that we can't do as an individual. But each and every one of those individuals had to be a part of the many to do it, right? They had one guy, you can sort of see him in the... You're right there, kind of standing over here, that uh, was kind of directing everything. You could hear him yelling on the video, go left, a little bit right, right? And he's kind of giving them directions as which way to go. But it's quite the accomplishment. And when you do something like that, I've been on many missions trips. And I remember one missions trip in Mexico. Um, there was supposed to be a backhoe coming to dig like 200 feet of... Uh, uh, what do you call it, septic tank um, where it runs out, that kind of thing. And, and the backhoe wasn't showing and one was showing up, but there was over 200, 300 people on this mission trip from different churches. So finally, they just went to the hardware store and bought like 50 shovels and all sorts of stuff and we just started digging. And it would have been impossible to do uh, with just 10 people. But we made shifts of like about 50 people and you'd dig for 15 minutes and then you'd pass your shovel off and go get some water and the next guy dig for 15 minutes. And when we were finished, we were like, yeah, that was amazing, right? That was good. Giving everybody high fives and high slaps. And then the backhoe kind of shows up and we're like, ah, oh, we don't need you, whatever, right? But they had these 200 people there on the missions trip that they had 
to work, we were going to sit around for two days if we didn't get it done. So we got it done and got the work done. And it's kind of amazing to be a part of a team. And thinking of Bethel, um, Bethel is given to kids of the city in the fall carnival. Formula for crisis pregnancy. Shoe boxes for kids overseas. Feeding programs for kids in the Philippines. Samaritan's House, Helping Hands, Teen Challenge, Families in Crisis, Meals. Next Sunday, you're going to get to meet, even if you put 50 cents in the offering, you were a part of bringing this family to Canada from the Ukraine. And that wouldn't happen with one person, but with a group of people coming together and voluntarily saying, we want to make a difference in our world today. Maybe we can't change the world for everybody, but for this one family, we can make a difference. We can change the world one family at a time, one decision at a time. And maybe my $5 doesn't seem like much, but when you add it to the other $5 or the other $100 or $50 or $1,000, all of a sudden that group effort becomes something that changes the world. There's value in many, many. Bethel has a name. Bethel has an image. When people in our country, in our city think of Bethel, they think of something. They think of a building or they think of the people. Um, the body of Christ is represented in our community, in the province, in the nation, in the world. We do more together. And Pastor Mike has challenged us many times to Bethel, just break it up and say, be the light, be the love, be the link, be the life. And inviting people to a life that matters. Jesus, God's only son, was one individual who laid down on the tracks for every single person, the one and the many. Jesus gave his life as a sacrifice for each and every one of you, as well as for the many in the world that don't even know his name this morning. And this next slide is kind of going to be overwhelming, but those are the gifts that are spoken of in the Bible. And when you look at that, I've done a whole thing on gifts before. You should see God. Sometimes we don't see God as administrative, but God is administrative and he's taken those gifts and put them in people. And some people are just gifted at, at being administrative. Discernment, faith, helps, inter interpretation. I won't go through all of them, but prophecy. Sometimes we just think of the gifts that are kind of up front, you know, the pastor, the evangelist, and that kind of thing. And sometimes it's just the people that put the cards out on the, on the chairs for Sunday. Or sometimes it's the people that go down to, I was just talking to someone this morning who goes every Tuesday and feeds the, at Helping Hands. And they have a ministry of helps. And they go and they feed those people. And they're the hands of Jesus. They're just one person. And they would not be able to do it by themselves. But because there's a group of people that say, you know what, it's important that we feed the people in our city who can't be fed. And there's people at Bethel here who put money in the offering that goes to the Benevolent Fund, that goes to our missions, that goes to Helping Hands. That one day when we stand in heaven, you will see the results of the things you've invested in. And I've often said, when I get to heaven, I'll look forward to the moment where I get to see, uh, try not to get emotional here. <laughs> uh, I look forward to the moment where I get to see Jesus and I get to go talk to him. But if I turn around and leave and there's nobody there that wants to say thanks to me, I think I've been a failure. There should be people that you've invested in that you may not even know if you've given money to the feeding, pan, uh, feeding program to the kids in the Philippines when they were flooded out, when you get to heaven after you've said thanks to Jesus, you turn around, there's going to be a bunch of kids from the Philippines going to say, thanks for giving. Thanks for making a difference in my life.
in that one person. It touches the many and you don't see them, right? You can't see the, the largeness of the scope of who you touch or how you touch or that kind of thing. Sometimes we do, but most of the time we don't. But God gives us the opportunity to change the world, to make a difference. And we're a part of a body called Bethel Christian Assembly. And the last couple of months, we've kind of been going through getting all the volunteers kind of uh, up to speed on plan to protect and that kind of stuff. And if you're interested in joining the team in any which way, shape, or form, and being one person who joins the many and says, you know what, I don't just want to come to church on Sunday, or it might not even have to do with Sunday. Uh, we've had people in the last uh, couple of months that said, you know, I want to start a prayer meeting on Tuesday. Or it could be something I want to put together a group that kind of just cleans up the yard or that goes down to the city. Or, you know, I'd like to be helping with helping hands down, serving, whatever. But if you have an interest in any which way and you're not involved and you'd like to be involved, there's a bunch of these on the coffee table on your way out you can grab. Or you can come grab one from me as well and say, you know what, I'm only one person. And you might think, you know what, I can't can't do a lot, but there's a lot of different options in there of things to do. And if there isn't an option that you'd like to do and you'd like to do it, then write it down and say, hey, this is something that I could do or I'd like to do, or is there a need in that area? I'm going to kind of finish off with this. Some of you that are uh, older will remember. How many people watched the show Gilligan's Island? Oh, there we got a few big fans, right? Uh, there's not, I never watched it a huge amount, uh, but I watched it a little bit. But I think it kind of uh, ends us off here this morning in a way that'll kind of bring this all home. Um, it's an interesting representation of community, right? Seven people from all over the country, different backgrounds, different life stories, all somehow find their way to that same harbor and get on the ship. The ship takes off to sail. The ship gets shipwrecked. And these seven people end up on an island. And you've got Gilligan. He's a well-meaning, bumbling personality that's kind of fun to watch. You've got Captain Grumbly, who's the skipper. You've got Thurston and his wife, Eunice, a millionaire who are used to luxurious living in New York. You've got Ginger Grant, a Hollywood movie star. You've got Roy Hinckley, who has a PhD and he's a high school teacher with many degrees. And you've got Marianne Summers, a sweet farm girl from Kansas. They have a common goal to survive and to be saved and to get off the island. And the whole show is just over and over the different antics of how those people kind of connect and interact and think of different ideas. Let's try this. Let's try that or whatever, right? And that kind of makes me stop and think as I was putting this together this week that as, as I look across this congregation this morning and think of people who are here and people who aren't here, I see people who are from the north. I see people who are from the south. People are from the East. People are from the West. People who've grown up in church. People who maybe this is your very first Sunday being in church. People who come from a Catholic background, from a Mennonite background, from no background of gospel or Christianity or anything at all. Um, there's people who've had a very smooth life and very few hurdles to go across. There's people here this morning who have scars of a very traumatic life thus far, and you've got to the other side of that, and you're continually walking forward. And yet somehow, God brings each and every one of us together into something he calls the body of Christ. And together in this place, we become together as one. And we've got all these different personalities and different people and different things that are going on and all the antics of kind of do life together and, and serving together and thinking of each other and rejoicing with those that rejoice and mourning with those that mourn. Um, in many ways, we're the same as the massive group of people that were gathered together of the day of church and the Pentecost. Acts 2 verses 9 to 11 says this. 
says there were Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, uh, Cappadonia, Pontius, Asia. These ones I'm not too sure how to say exactly. Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, districts of Libya around Syrian, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes. God chose to birth his church amongst many people from many different places and the commotion that was going on all around them. So this morning in the final um, moments of we're here this morning, I want to challenge you on two things. And I know it's kind of been a lot of information, a lot of things kind of here and there and the other thing, but hopefully the point of the entire morning uh, that God laid on my heart is kind of coming across to you that each and every one of us has a chance to make a difference. But when we come together as the many, we come together as the body of Christ. And I want to do one last illustration here this morning, but it depends a little bit on you being a part of that illustration. And if you're here this morning and you are one single person, which all of you are, <laughs> and you believe in the body of Christ, you believe in the sacrifice that God has given for each and every one of us, and you believe that we're a part of something that is bigger, and yet you as one person are saying, God, I believe in the body of Christ, then I'm going to ask you just to stand to your feet just for a second. And some of you might, and some of you might not, and I'm not able to that. But if you're here this morning, and God's speaking to your heart, and you're saying, yeah, I believe in the body of Christ, just stand. And don't stand because everybody else did. Just if, if God's talking to you, Whatever, it's not something where I'm forcing everybody to do it. You're voluntarily to do it. And now just take a minute. And so each and every one of you are one person. Some of you I could go around and I could name you by name. And I could tell you a few things about you. And I've spent time with you on a missions trip or something here or there or in young adults or talking to you during the week and that kind of stuff. Some of you I probably couldn't even pull your name out getting together and talk to you. But, but you're one person and we're a part of the body of Christ. We've all been given gifts. We've all been given talents. And now just take a minute and just look around the building. Is there anybody that looks like you? We do have at least one set of twins that comes to Bethel. So they might be saying, yes, we look exactly like each other. But none of us look like each other. None of us look the same. None of us have the same, exact same gifts, skills, and talents and abilities. So just like Gilligan's Island, there's going to be times where we'll be kind of like, oh, oh. Well, I want to do it this way. Well, I want to do it this way. And yet Jesus has given his life for every single one of us. And he's also given his life for those who don't even know him. When someone comes in the door and they've never been here before, we need to keep it in our mind that God has given his life for them. And he desires them to make a voluntary choice to be a part of the body of Christ. And you might be a part of the body of Christ, but you don't know where you fit I challenge you to find somebody or talk to somebody or find a thing online or we've got some networking stuff in the, in the office that kind of tells you, you go through and answer questions and it tells you, you know, you've got this gifts and these skills and these abilities and these talents and helps you kind of discover who you are and who God has created you to be. But you might also be one person here and you may not connect with the body of Christ. And I know there's people who are introverts and there's people who are extroverts. I was at camp this week and it was the very first night, very first, very first morning, and the speaker right at the end of it said, I was sitting by myself with a whole bunch of people that I didn't know. And the very speaker at the end, I know I should have, but I didn't. The speaker said, okay, at the end, just get together and pray with people around you. And I'm like, I don't know these people at all. <laughs> I feel really awkward. I don't really feel like... Yeah. Now, come on, some of you are like that too, right? Right? You're like, I don't want to do that, right? Uh, so, and other times I have, but that morning I just didn't, it wasn't that way, right? And yet I should be. 
Right? It should be, you know, if you're a part of the body of Christ, I want to get to know you. I want to I learn your gifts and skills and abilities and see you flourish in who you are. So as we close in prayer this morning, I just invite, if you're still seated and you want to stand, you're welcome to stand with us as we close in prayer. And then Joel's going to put a song on that just uh, says, you know what, come to the table. It doesn't matter where you've been, where you are. If you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Christ, Jesus is always laying down his life and saying, I've done it already. I've paid the price. I want you to be a part of the body of Christ. So Father, we give you the honor. We give you the glory in this place this morning, God. We thank you for the summer holidays that everyone has in this time of year where we have a couple of months of just really nice and warm weather. Um, but God, more than that, Lord Jesus, Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come into this place that's called a church. But God, everyone who's standing in this room is the church. And God, we may be one person, but when we come together, Lord Jesus, as many, God, when we sign up and we get involved, Lord Jesus, Father, next week we'll see the fruit of um, investing and giving different things to um, bless a family from the Ukraine who's uh, come into this world. And God, I'm sure right now as they're in their home isolating that we've prepared for them here in Brandon, God, they're just feeling so relieved and blessed. So God, we just come before you once again as the body of Christ and surrender our lives to you and say that we ask that you'll give, us, give you the honor and the glory. And may this week, Lord Jesus, Father, we as individuals, God, find ways to sow into the many. That when we get to heaven, God, we would have our moment of saying thanks to you. But when we turn around, Lord Jesus, God, there'd be people there who would say, because you gave, because you invested, because you did this or because you said hi, it made a difference in my life. So God, we give you the honor, we give you the glory, pray that you'll bless this day and each and every person here in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Let's continue the conversation online. Visit us at BethelBrandon.ca or follow us on Facebook.